Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. The message this morning I'm entitling, Daniel's Prayer and Praise to God. Daniel's Prayer and Praise to God. Daniel chapter 2, verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. This chapter began with a reoccurring dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And in this reoccurring dream, it so troubled him, it so startled him, it so upset him that he calls the wise men, the counselors, and the Chaldeans to come and reveal the dream and the interpretation. Remember that word is going to be an important word in our study. It means to unloose or untie. So he's asking to reveal the dream and untie the dream. The king, in effect, is testing these so-called wise men to prove whether or not they have supernatural wisdom, to prove whether or not they have supernatural insight, if they have supernatural access to another world, an invisible world. The king is asking these men to describe a dream that they've never heard or never seen and interpret that dream or be destroyed. Daniel and his friends were put in immediate peril in verses 1 through 13. And so we learned in part that unless the God of Daniel and his friends are real, they will perish. They need a miracle, a for real miracle. They need a supernatural intervention. And Daniel's peril will be met with prayer in verses 17 through 22, praise. In verse 23, in this section we learn that there is no limit to what God will do for the believer who's willing to give the glory to God, who's willing to acknowledge that the supernatural circumstances and the miraculous things that we need come from him. And so in the, in the first chapter, Daniel is selected by God and purposes in his heart to remain steadfast to God. In this second chapter, Daniel responds to a crisis with confidence and calm as he cries out to the God of his fathers. Look at Daniel's inquiry in verse 14. It says, quote, Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, 
the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. It would seem that Daniel and his friends were not present in the circumstances that we looked at last week in verses 1 through 13. The king's command to kill the wise men of Babylon included them. The captain of the king's guard was tasked with executing the king's decree in verse 13. And faced with this crisis, Daniel is going to demonstrate wisdom, prudence, discretion. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Daniel is going to have to respond with the most amount of wisdom and calm. So the Lord, I'm going to suggest to you, wants us to exercise counsel and wisdom, prudence and discretion. What do you have in common with Daniel? Obviously, there's going to be times in your life where you face crisis. You face difficulty. You're facing a circumstance that you had not anticipated. And so the wise and the prudent person seeks and looks down the road to see what's coming according to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 18. The the, the wise man or woman will anticipate danger, Proverbs 22.3, will consider her his or her steps, Proverbs 14, 15, will think about the present and save for the future. That's Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. The wise person will guard their heart and their mouth. The wise person won't say, hey, look, I just say what I feel. You just admitted to me that you're a fool. The wise person says that it knows that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and so that we have to exercise wisdom and discretion. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. If you want to be able to participate in a world that requires counsel and wisdom, you might consider carefully doing an in-depth study in the book of Proverbs. You know what I've done my whole life? There's 31 Proverbs every day. Whatever that day is, you read the proverb. Today's the 17th. If you've never done it, begin today. At some point during the day, just open up your Bible. Look at Proverbs 17. You don't have to know everything about everything, but just begin to read it. Daniel is going to inquire why this decree is so urgent. And by the way, in the ancient world, a royal decree was an order from an authority with the force of law. In our culture, it would have, a laws are passed by Congress or rulings by the Supreme Court or executive orders by the President of the United States. I want you to think that this decree from the king is like a legislative, executive, and court decision all rolled into one. When the king decrees it, It was something that was spoken by the authority and then recorded. That means written down, which speaks of the permanence of the order. So we see similar decrees in the book of Esther in chapter 1, verses 19 through 22, when when a a royal decree is made. Or even in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, where Caesar orders a royal decree that the nations are to be given a census. Now again, we live in a culture 
where the tyranny of the urgent rules us and sometimes distracts us and confronts us. There are important things that we have to do and there are urgent matters that we have to attend to. And so Daniel is asking the captain, why the rush? Why that sense of urgency? Arioch must have told Daniel about the events that transpired in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And unless he executes Daniel and his friends, he himself will forfeit his life. That's pretty urgent, isn't it? Unless I kill you, he's going to kill me. I want you to notice three things about this passage. The first thing is that Daniel is able to access the king. He could certainly not access the king without the king's permission or at a moment's notice. And so there's something about this text that tells us that Daniel had at least gained some sort of measure of favor in order to accomplish this remarkable feat. You don't get to show up in the king's presence unless you've somehow established some sort of relationship that gives you that opportunity. You can't just literally show up in the White House and expect to be seen by the president. You can't literally show up in the Congress and, and be seen by your United States senator or congressman. Maybe some of you can because you make some sort of arrangement. It's going to be something that is remarkable in and of itself that Daniel has gained enough favor in order to do this. The second thing is the courage and the boldness of Daniel in the circumstance. Note exactly what the text says in verse 16. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, or even more precisely in, in the original language, appoint him a time Earlier in the chapter, remember the kings and counselors and the wise men said, give us more time. And he said, you're stalling. But when Daniel asks for time, he, the king doesn't say you're stalling. He gives him the time. Because again, apparently Daniel has acted with integrity and honesty in the past. When the so-called wise men and the magicians and, and Chaldeans asked for exactly the same thing, they were met with skepticism. So again, why is Daniel giving, given the opportunity? I'm going to suggest to you that the only thing that makes sense is that at every moment in the past, Daniel has acted with honesty and integrity in order to get this favor. So think about it. Number one, Daniel has access. Number two, he has boldness. Number three, he exercises faith. In what way? He will ask the king to make an appointment that is to reveal and interpret the dream for the king the, through God, even though God hasn't revealed the dream to him, even though God hasn't revealed the interpretation to him. Now, I want you to think about that. Is it going to take faith to say, hey, look, in order for us to get to go forward, God is going to have to reveal the dream and have to reveal the interpretation. But in those three things, we find the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Guess what, Christian? In order for you to live your life, you're going to have to have access to God. The Bible even encourages you that you can approach his throne with boldness and with faith. What gives you access to the God of heaven? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. What gives you boldness in that access? That he has saved you from your sin. What gives you faith? The Bible says, even though we haven't seen him, we believe him. Remember the Bible says that those who approach God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Daniel has 
access, boldness. He is going to exercise faith. And now look at Daniel's prayer in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and rulers and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness and light dwells with him. This is interesting. Daniel doesn't make a run for it. Daniel goes home and he shares the news with his companions. The text is leading us to believe that Hananiah, Azrael, and Mish... I've got to get their names right. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I keep wanting to say Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego. (laughs) But there's a reason why the text is using their Hebrew names. And by the way, as you read this text, I want to ask you a question. Are you left with the impression that Daniel is in a state of panic, terror, fear, dread, Now, you would think, clearly, someone has the right to be full of fear and terrified. If anyone has a right to be full of fear and terrified, it's Daniel. There's an executive order to put you to death. It makes perfect sense to me that if your marriage is about to fall apart, it makes perfect sense to me that if you have a diagnosis of cancer, it makes perfect sense to me that if there is an unfolding set of circumstances that put your life and your friendships and your fellowships and your family at risk, that that would generate a sense of panic. But Daniel and his friends don't panic. They pray, especially when every molecule in your body says it's time to panic. I am at risk. But there's this overwhelming peace and calm. And they're going to choose prayer. What's at stake? Their lives. But Daniel remains calm. He calls on his companions to seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret in verse 18. Daniel is calm and confident. And it's also interesting to me in the context of trusting God and intercessory prayer, the text calls Daniel's friends, not by their Babylonian name, but by their Hebrew name. Why is that even important? Their faith and their prayers must be directed not to the pagan gods of Babylon, but to the true God of heaven. We live in a world all around this great big world where people grew up in different religious traditions. You may have grown up in a religious tradition that that didn't really talk a whole lot about prayer, but when you prayed, it was usually in panic. It's also interesting to me that in the New Testament that Paul points out 
In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. It says in chapter 15, verse 4, and then again in chapter 15, verse 13, it says, now may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If there is a lack of joy and peace in your life, there might be a lack of hope. This last week I did one wedding and two funerals. In one of the funerals I I said what you've heard me say for years. There's two kinds of people in the world. Italian people and people who wish they were. And I said, no, no, there's really, those aren't the two kinds of people in the world. I said, the two kinds of people in the world are those who have hope and those who need hope. That's your world. You're surrounded by people who have hope or need hope What's the source of hope? Where do we find it? Where can we go to find it? And according to the scriptures, God is the God of hope. And the scriptures provide us with a source of hope. For Daniel and his friends, their hope is in the God of heaven. And according to his mercies, if the God of heaven, again, remember what we've already said. If the God of heaven isn't real or refuses to intervene, they are quite literally dead. And so in verse 18, when it says that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven, the mercies of God is a term that describes God's compassion and kindness towards his people. This is a very important word. I'm going to suggest to you that God's mercies are in part Tied to his sovereign will. I'm also going to suggest that his mercies in the New Testament are tied to the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Grace and mercy are closely related to one another. The word grace speaks of God's unmerited favor and the, wor- and the word mercy speaks of what God has done for us In our salvation, the moment that you realize that you were a sinner in need of a savior and that God saved you, he exercised mercy. Jesus makes grace and mercy possible. There may be common grace and acts of mercy in our broken lives, but it's Jesus It's Jesus who brings sufficient grace and sufficient mercy for the sinner. We can escape deserved judgment for our sin. We can receive mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now we see yet another connection. That there is a God in heaven. And that this God is merciful. And that this God is willing to exercise mercy. Mercy for those who deserve judgment. I want you to pause for a moment and think about this. Daniel, all by himself, has no power. He has no authority. He has no access to secret information other than what God allows for him. We only have access to God and mercy and secret information through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is a time-sensitive intercessory prayer directed at the God of heaven. And by the way, that expression is very important and it's going to be used throughout the chapter. God is called the God of heaven in verse 18, verse 19, verse 37, and verse 44. And I think, again, that this is important because it stands in stark contrast to the fake and 
phony things that are here on the earth. And again, I'm so impressed with Daniel's peace in the storm. They pray to God. They trust in God. And then they're at peace. And again, I'm wondering if Paul might have been thinking about this when Daniel wrote, when, that he might have been thinking about, did my microphone just go off? Do we know why? Is it back on? I'm sitting here going, I'm wondering if I'm going to have to use my big preacher voice. James, thank you for getting my other voice back. Where was I? Oh, I was saying about Paul the Apostle that I'm wondering if Paul the Apostle was even thinking about Daniel when he wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's only one thing that's going to give you the peace that passes all understanding that will guard your heart and will guard your mind. And what do they pray? What are they actually praying for? Revelation. Concerning the mystery. Remember what I've already said? Separation from sin is going to lead to elevation for Daniel and his friends and then revelation from God. They intercede. They ask God to untie the dream, to give them the dream and untie the dream. My friend Ron Rhodes writes, quote, in the Bible, a mystery is a truth that cannot be discerned simply by human investigation, but requires special revelation from God, unquote. There's certain things that the only way that you're going to get the answer to what you need, it's going to have to come from God. I spend my whole life answering people's questions. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. Tell me about why is this and why is that. And there's certain th- times where I have to say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question. Why is this happening? I c- could suggest some things, but they're only suggestions because the why implies that I know what seriously only God could know. What has brought Daniel and his friends to this moment? It's all the things we've already read. Purity, separation from sin, obedience to God in chapter 1. I want you to think about where you are in your reading of Daniel. In the first chapter, God put Daniel to the test. And now Daniel is going to put God to the test. God answers their prayers in verse 19. And how does God answer their prayers? Look what it says. In a night vision. What does that mean? Does it mean a dream? Does it mean that he goes to sleep and he dreams exactly the same dream? I want you to look again. Because this is very impressive. Daniel prays. And then Daniel lays down his head in his bed in Babylon. Why do you think that that's important? Because Daniel and his friends 
aren't pacing back and forth. The sleep doesn't leave them. They're not filled with anxiety and fear. I want you to think about this. If they just decided to stay up all night afraid of what might happen, he would never have gone to sleep and received the revelation that he needed in order to solve the problem that he had. Daniel sleeps. He doesn't agonize. He doesn't peer into his own soul. If he had done that, he would have missed the answer to his prayer. He sleeps and God gives his servant the dream that he had given to Nebuchadnezzar the night before. And what does Daniel do in his prayer? He blesses the name of the Lord God of heaven. And by the way, throughout the Old Testament, we see this blessing take place. Isaac blesses the God of heaven. Jacob and Moses and Joshua bless his name. Daniel's prayer reminds me of the psalmist who says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, Psalm 103, verse 1. He continues, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits in Psalm 103, verse 2. Daniel recognizes that God is mighty and sovereign in verse 20 because only a wise and a mighty and a sovereign God could intervene in such a situation. Only a real God, the true God of heaven. And by the way, the Lord changes the times and the season, Daniel prays. He removes kings and he sets them up in verse 21. And this goes back to the theme of the book, the theme of the book of Daniel. Remember, it's those three simple words, God. Maybe four. Is in control. I threw in an extra one. God is in control. I, could, I think I could put, narrow it down to three. God is sovereign. Sovereign is another word for control. God determines the destiny of nations. God does that. And so Daniel reveals to the reader... What some might be reluctant to accept. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon for one singular reason. God has allowed it. God has sovereignly determined to use this king for his providential purposes. And that insight applies to each and every one of us. God is in control. He is in control of our lives. God sovereignly determines signs and seasons, rulers and reasons. He doesn't always disclose what he's doing and why he's doing it even though you might insist. No, you tell me, I really want to know. You know, it's always, it's not a good idea to try and manipulate God or bully God. If God wants you to know, he'll reveal it to you. I want to know why this person's sick. So do I. I want to know about this terrible catastrophe. So do I. I want to know why this is happening. So do I. God sovereignly determines, but doesn't always disclose. But he does give wisdom to the wise. See in verse 21? The Lord God of heaven is the source of hope and peace and joy and wisdom for those who follow him. The same is repeated in Proverbs chapter 1 verses 2 through 5. In the last chapter in verse 17 of chapter 1, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding of visions and dreams, unquote. Why? Why was Daniel given this supernatural ability? Because God was going to use him. God was going to use him. Some of you have supernatural abilities. You've been given gifts 
by the God of heaven. And, and I'm not talking about natural abilities. I'm talking about supernatural abilities. Some of you may have a predisposition to learn languages. You might have a predisposition to make money. You might have a predisposition to make people laugh. You might have a predisposition towards encouragement. You might have a talent that is above extraordinary. But then some of you have a supernatural ability to be in exactly the right place at the right time so that you can be used by God. The Lord of heaven reveals deep and hidden things, it says in verse 22. He reveals deep and hidden things. What, what does that include? Here in the context, it includes Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He reveals deep and hidden things. What does that mean? It means things you couldn't possibly know. One of my favorite people of all time is George Washington Carver. Other than Jonathan Edwards, I suspect that George Washington Carver, Jonathan Edwards might be the smartest human beings who have ever been given birth on the North American continent. George Washington Carver was brought before Congress and he had devised some 50 different patents for the use of the peanut. George Washington Carver took a little thing called a peanut and he figured out about 40 or 50 different applications for this peanut. And the United States Senator said, how did you figure this out? And George Washington Carver said, I held up the peanut and I prayed to God and I said, reveal your secrets to me. And sometimes God, as you hold up your life and you hold up your marriage and you hold up your friendship and you hold up your circumstances and you pray and you say, reveal your secrets to me. It might mean the deep and the hidden things about your life. He reveals the deep and hidden things, the dark things, the difficult things, the wicked things, or the things that you never talk about, that you never share with anyone. It's those things that you think about in the back of your mind, and when no one else is listening, you maybe quietly either say to yourself, you might even dare say it out loud, I've never told anyone that the Lord knows what's in the darkness, verse 22. According to the Bible, God is omniscient and omnipresent. That means he knows everything and that he's everywhere. So what does all of this mean? It means that nothing is hidden from the Lord God of heaven. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing slips past him. The light dwells with him in verse 22. And here in context, it probably means even though human beings are dark, ignorant, uninformed about certain things, the God of heaven remains informed. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 36, 9, in your light do we see light. In Job 12, 22, we read, he uncovers the deeps out of darkness. He brings deep darkness to you. The night is bright as the day. The darkness is as light to you. In Jeremiah 23, 24, it says, God himself declares and affirms, quote, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? The Lord doesn't just have satellite imagery where he can go anywhere and see anything. His imagery goes to you, to your heart, to the level that no one else and nothing else can penetrate. What was concealed from the others is revealed to Daniel. The secret hidden from Babylon's best are revealed 
to God's faithful servants. And every once in a while, you become that faithful servant. And you show up in somebody's life. And you say, I know about the darkness inside of you. I know about the emptiness and the loneliness. I know about the guilt that never goes away. And there's a God who can help you with that. There's a Jesus who loves you and who died for you. And look at Daniel's praise in verse 23. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You've given me wisdom and might, and you've made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Daniel gives all of the honor, all of the glory, all of the praise to God. He knows that it isn't some sort of ingenuity on his part. Prayer and praise to God were Daniel's priority even before he goes to Arioch, the king's servant, and says, you don't have to, time out, time out. You don't have to kill us. We have the answer. He goes to God. He praises the Lord. Daniel calls God the God of my fathers. Isn't that significant? You see, when you see the names of God in the Bible, they all carry a deep significance. And here, the name of God represents all that he is. God is the God. He's Elohim. He is Jehovah. He is There's so many different names that he goes by, but here Daniel uses the phrase, you are the God of my fathers. You're the God of Abraham. You're the God of Isaac. You're the God of Jacob. You're the God of Judah. I suspect that Daniel was royal, that he was a direct descendant of David and Judah. Daniel is from the royal court. He's part of the king's descendants. How do we know that? Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. If you just go back, remember it says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. If that's true, if it's true that Daniel is one of the king's descendants... Then he's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David and all of the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David. He's making them to Daniel. Daniel is praying and praising. He's praising the Lord. And I want you to just pause for a moment and again think of the context. He is a man of prayer and he's a man of praise. Would you say that? That's an accurate description of your life. Would you describe, if someone said to you, you, tell me something about yourself. Would you say, I'm a man of prayer. I'm a woman of prayer. I'm a man of praise. A woman of praise. Does prayer and praise mark your life? And guess what? With prayer comes praise. We put on the garment of praise. We're commanded and exhorted to praise the Lord from our hearts and from our lips. We're told in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 to offer the sacrifice of praise with our lips. We do this with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. You see, we don't have the, the, the worship at our church isn't a warm up for the sermon. It isn't, hey, let's sing some songs before Gino comes out. That's not the point. It's exactly the opposite. The praise and the prayer and the proclamation of this word all constitute worship. We praise the Lord as an opportunity to give him honor and praise. So... People say, well, all things in moderation. There is one thing that you can never do too much. 
you can never praise the Lord too much. I, might, I know it might be embarrassing and discouraging to your unsaved family and friends when you go, praise the Lord. And they go, will you stop that? Just stop that. Praising the Lord all the time. Francis Schaeffer wrote, one day all Christians will join in a doxology and sing God's praises with perfection. But even today, individually and corporately, we are not only to sing the doxology, we're to be the doxology. Some of you may be unfamiliar with that word. Doxology means that the science and study of praise. It's sometimes applied to a song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Sing it with me. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy it's not just something that you do with your lips it's something that you become it's a manifestation of who you are the Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said praising God is one of the highest and purest acts of religion in prayer we act like mere men in praise we act like angels why praise God? There's lots of reasons, but let's just, let's just confine ourselves to what Daniel says. Number one, the Lord deserves praise because all wisdom and power belong to him. He says you should praise him because he can do anything. Number two, the living Lord deserves praise because he controls all things. Remember in verse 21, at the beginning of the verse, he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He controls everyone and everything. He controls the environment. He controls the circumstances. He controls countries and civilizations. The kings of the earth may kid themselves into thinking that they've secured power and authority through skill or force or wealth or their own efforts. And they would be wrong. The Lord gives both ability and right to rule. I have a friend who's running for a major political office. And I said to him, if God selects you Remain steadfast to him. You see, in the, in the office that he's running for, people say, what do you want? What do you want? I'll tell you what I want. If God selects you, I want you to remain faithful to him. If you do that, you have my vote. What do you want? Number three, the Lord deserves praise because he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He alone reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what's in the dark. He is the only one who dwells in perfect light. He's the only one who has perfect understanding. It's to the Lord and to the Lord alone that we can credit the giving of the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And so at this point, Daniel is going to acknowledge that if there is such a thing as ultimate truth, it can only be found in the living God of heaven. And number four, the Lord deserves praise because he's given Daniel superhuman wisdom and power in verse 23. The wisdom and power to understand. The kind of understanding that won't come apart from revelation. And so the Lord will reveal the actual content and the meaning of another person's dream. In order for me to know your dream, I would have to ask you, tell me your dream. Tell me your dream. And I might be able to tell you what it means. But I don't operate a dream interpretation factory. I used to do that before I got saved. 
when I was involved in the occult, I, I wondered if there was access to supernatural information from somewhere and did it all mean something? But I'm convinced, I am convinced, I am convinced that the only thing that really matters is what God reveals in the person of Jesus and in his word. I want you to think in closing about this. In the king's court, there were the so-called wise, and then there were the truly wise. In the king's court, there were people who pretended to know, and there were people who really knew. And it's interesting to me, because Daniel and his friends really know, because they chose to separate themselves from sin and because they chose to be faithful to God and because they chose to pray and because they chose to praise that a revelation was given that saved the unbeliever from immediate judgment. I'm convinced, Christian, I'm convinced, Christian mother, Christian father, Christian brother, Christian sister, that your presence in some circumstance might be the very thing that keeps immediate judgment from falling. Because God wants to use you. And because God loves you your unbelieving family, your unbelieving friends, your unbelieving neighbors. He's postponing judgment because of the grace and the mercy that's in your heart. He's postponing judgment for your children and your grandchildren and their children even though they might not acknowledge the living God of heaven, the God of their fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers. So continue to pray. Continue to intercede. I'm going to ask you a final question. Is there someone in your life that you need to pray for right now, this week? Someone who needs your intercessory prayer. Someone that you need to plead for. That God will postpone judgment. And bring a day of grace. And a day of mercy. You might want to pray for them right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, love, we live in a world that's destined for judgment. Judgment. Deserved judgment. But Lord, do we dare even pray that you would postpone judgment in the life of that person that we're thinking about right now? Lord, will you keep them alive? Will you keep them healthy? Will you keep them aware? Lord, will you keep them alive for one more day so that they could hear the gospel, so that they would know that there's a God who loves them and cares about them, a Jesus who died for them? Lord, will you give us just one more opportunity to share Christ with them? Impart hope to them. Remind them that there's a way to avoid judgment and obtain mercy. Lord, we commit them to you. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.